This is Chaz Woodson, and you're listening to the Going Offsides Podcast. It's it's really an incredible conversation. Yeah, it's an amazing it's an amazing episode. I mean, just from the sense that uh, he was one of the pioneers. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was there at the beginning of the MLL, was there with that summer showcase in in 2000, um, multiple time All American at UMass, um, just a legend in the game. I mean, he was one of the first guys. If you really kind of talk talk about it, you know, it was you know the Gate Brothers with STX, and then when Warrior really got its start, you know, they built it off of Mark Millen and Casey Powell, and you know, he's one of the he's one of the pioneers of the game and uh it was just so cool to to sit down and talk with him and and also too you know just um having the opportunity to talk a little bit about his his playing career which was phenomenal but just to see what he's doing from an instructional level and how he helped build a generation of players and uh it was just really cool um you know the fans and us really you know we were kind of we were, we were kind of awestruck a little bit because we're, we're here talking to talking to one of the legends of the games but couldn't have been a nicer guy couldn't have been a, a, a better conversation and he, he was just a phenomenal guy to talk to i think everybody's gonna enjoy it ladies and gentlemen we have an absolute there's no other way to put it absolute lacrosse legend today we had Ricky Beast last week. We had Marty Ward right after that. And now we have Mark Millen. So it's a pretty good group all in a row. But this one's personal for me. I didn't know how to shoot at all until I watched Offensive Wizardry. And we're going to bring that up at some point. But Mark, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be on and appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, no problem. Ryan, go Yeah, ahead. man. I mean, listen, you're talking to a Long Island legend, man. Uh, you know, born and bred. Um, and I, 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 it's pretty interesting. I'm an alumni of, uh, of a mill and lacrosse camp. So, uh, you know, this is, this is one of the guys that, uh, he's one of the first few guys that actually turned lacrosse into a great way to make a living for himself. So it's, uh, it's definitely awesome to, to have you on. I can't thank you enough. And it's really going to be awesome to chop it up with you for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. I love talking lacrosse and, uh, Unfortunately, as you get older and the longer I've done these camps, it's uh, every time I run across someone in the sport, they're just like, um, I came to your camp. So um, it makes you feel really good. It also makes you feel a little old. Um, <laughs> this summer, I have a 2022 team uh, that I coach, which is all like current juniors. That was the mm -hmm. big, the, the big nut this year where college coaches were recruiting. And I talked to so many coaches all summer and every young coach I talked to is like, I came through your camp. So um, yeah. again, it's really cool. I've been doing it a long time and makes you really proud. And, uh, but also have been doing it quite a while. Yeah. It's awesome, man. I know it's uh, you know, it was, it was a staple of the summer for everybody. I mean, before kind of club ball exploded, um, I mean, the instructional camps were, were basically a staple of the summer across the board. And um, I know Millen, uh, you know, it, it's just something that every kid did every, every summer. It was like, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Well, mom, dad, I want you to pay for, for me to go to Millen camp this summer. Uh, that I want that to be one of my, pre my presents. So it's, uh, it's been really awesome. Um, I mean, kind of like just to, just to ask you a quick question, how did all of that come about? I know, obviously, you know, you graduate college, you play at UMass, you, you, you do all that, you're playing in the world games, you know, kind of how did all of that all come together? So, um, 
you know, I wasn't really sure. Um, I have two young boys myself now, and I tell them the same thing. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do after college. Um, so I started kind of messing around with maybe working in the lacrosse industry. And I actually did end up doing that right out of college. I started, I went back to Long Island for a short period of time and then moved to Baltimore to work for STX. Um, and I was kind of like, you know, do I do this business thing full time, but I love coaching. So do I jump into like being a college coach? And I guess I kind of came up with that sort of maybe the best of both worlds would be to, a little bit of a career in business slash the lacrosse industry. And then maybe um, start a little bit of a legacy with doing my own instructional camp. So I would get the best of both worlds and kind of that's, that's where it started. Um, my original partner was my brother and we kind of started doing these camps together and uh, he, it really wasn't, that wasn't what his, his aspirations were. So he kind of broke off, but um, right after my senior year, we, I think the first summer we uh, started launching these camps up on Long Island. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Now, Ryan texted me the other night and he said, cause I was like, Oh, I can't wait another Long Island guy for Ryan to chop it up with. And I can feel like this outside Midwesterner. And he said, and I quote, you're no longer a Long Island guy. You're a Baltimore guy now. How, how true I didn't, is this? I, I, I did not say that. I said, <laughs> you're a Long Island guy living in Baltimore. There's a difference. Uh, huh? So how, how much of that is true? How much are you ingrained now in the Baltimore community now that you're, like you said, you have two sons and I believe they both go to school in, in the Baltimore area. So which one, which one is it more now? Are you a Baltimore guy officially? Or are you forever close. Long I got to interrupt. You can't even say anymore. I mean, <laughs> I th- what's that old saying? They can't take the Long Island out of you. Um, I forget what the whole saying goes, but, and interestingly enough, now I've been down here long enough that I've probably been down here longer than growing up mm-hmm. on Long Island, but no, 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 I am a Long Islander through and through. Um, I hope the boys friends aren't on here, but my boys are Long <laughs> Islanders in Baltimore. Okay. Um, so yeah, no, once you like get that blood in you up there and I, listen, I was just up there last week. Um, there's that place is the best and I love it up there and I'm not there. Um, simply because, you know, I got sort of entrenched down here and yeah. uh, cost of living up there is probably the only negative, but I love it. I'm always a Long Islander. Well, listen, man, I'm a Long Island guy living out in Ohio now because you know, <laughs> this is where my wife's family is, but right. you know, everybody gives me the business all the time. So, I mean, listen, I get it. I get it. It's, uh, yeah. you know, and especially for you, man, you're a Long Island guy who went to UMass. You can't get that. That's, his, that's the blood right there, man. That's it. We used to have Long Island versus the world scrimmages up there. And uh, it would be like 25 guys. We had so many UMass guys, so many Long Island UMass guys. Um, It's a pipeline. It always has been. Yeah. Can you talk to, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what, what was it about UMass that got you there? What was it? And, and, and so many people too. I mean, everybody, you know, a lot of times when they think of like those college programs, those blue blood programs, like you're talking about a Syracuse, you know, Virginia, you know, those types of programs. I mean, UMass has a lot of history. There's been so many successful teams. I mean, you were a part of them, even that run in 2006 with Doc Schneider and goal and all those guys, Um, you know, coach Canella has been, I mean, I think he, he might be the longest tenured coach in division one lacrosse right now um, or close to it. Um, you know, what is it about UMass? Because there is so much history there. It's such a, it's such a good program. 
Um, you know, can you talk to us a little bit about what got you there? What's so special about that place? Because, you know, from my standpoint, having been up there, I mean, it's like one of the most fun places to watch a game, to even play at. It's, it's a special place. Yeah. I mean, you're hitting on a bunch of the things I was, um, I played on the empire team. I don't know if you were up on long Island. I mean, playing on the, I got cut. You know, back in the day, it was if you made it, even if you didn't make, if you made the Empire team, you were pretty much done. You're you were a D1 guy getting scholarship money. But even even the guys that didn't make the team, the coaches were always attending like those yeah. last couple of rounds of tryouts. So I, you know, I had decent options. Um, I first thought maybe Carolina. I was gonna, you know, and then I got, I kind of loved Syracuse, and I had all the looks and went on all the trips. When I went up to UMass, I, there was just something about it. Um, the first thing was Dick Garber, who was yep. there for 36 years, was the kind of the head coach. He was the head coach at the time. Um, and he was a real, he's just an incredible, like, I don't, I don't even want to say recruiter, but just a father figure for the program. And then the, uh, the town was really charming, really cool little New England town. But more than anything, it was the culture on the team. When I went up there, on my recruiting trip, there was just so much like, you know, friendship and bonds and love and the guys all hung out together. And one of the things I thought was unique and I did young players today probably do a little more research on the program, but I I did enough. And I saw that it was a program that I felt like was just about to climb over the mountain and reach a bunch of final fours in a row. And one of the final determining determining factors was I was like, you know, I think it would be really cool to go to a program that's about to jump into their first couple of final fours rather than a program that was just going there every year. And so the combination of Dick Garber, the location, the culture on the team, um, and then the thought of, you know, getting over the hump into some final fours really um, put me over the hump. And unfortunately, we didn't we didn't get there, but I wouldn't trade it. The place is special. There is so much history. There's so many iconic players um, that have gone there over time. And I think I, you know, I talk to all these college coaches now and stuff. A lot of them are my friends. I don't think there's a better coach in Division One lacrosse than Greg Canella. And the reason I say that is really what he's done with the program with a little bit of limited resources. Mm-hmm. Um so, I mean, he's got a lot of resources, don't get me wrong, but versus like some of the other programs, he's a tremendous coach and uh, I love my experience up there. Awesome. So you graduate and like you said, you were torn between the business world, coaching clinics, and you decide to go into the business world for a bit and you end up building a, a camp business. What year was it that, and what prompted the the creation of this at the time this vhs called offensive wizardry with mark millen all right so that's that's an awesome question and um so as i graduated and was playing a ton of lacrosse and i my my lacrosse my business was um first with stx and in the manufacturing side and then i was only there a couple years and then came on board with warrior very early in the process. So it was really for a while, it was just Dave Morrow and I. And and I was doing my camps and I was playing and I was kind of saying to myself, like, what do I need to do to cement my, and take my brand from like people going to my camp to 
visit with Mark Millen and learn from Mark and, and hang out with Mark Millen, but also like to brand myself more as like a true teacher. So I was like, man, I got to do, I got to do an instructional video that will just hammer it home that I'm not just a player. I'm also a pretty good teacher of the game. So I did that. It was a really cool project. I, I, I hooked up with a guy that I kind of knew and one of the goals was that pro of that project was branding and not necessarily making money. So we spent a fortune to do that thing. We, we spared no expense on like, we borrowed the um, signage boards from the MLL. We found a really mm -hmm. cool farm down in Severna Park and the budget was huge. Um, I think back in 2000, we spent like $80,000 to produce that thing. And so over time, it, really may, may have made a little bit of money, but it was more of a branding tool. And, 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 it, and it, it was incredibly successful in that. Like, I'm telling you, I still talk to, to people. There's a guy who's at Maryland right now. I did something with my son's team at Maryland in February. And even he, who's a current elite college player, said he grew up watching that. So um, the amount of eyeballs that that thing uh, the amount of eyeballs on that thing was over time has been incredible. And it's been such a rewarding piece. Yeah, man. I mean, I can, I can speak to that because I fell into that weird gap. So I I'm 31. And so I was in that weird area where like in the Midwest, we didn't watch the MLL. So like, I didn't know who you were from your college playing days. I, I'm not like Ryan who would have heard your name probably in, in Long Island. So I had no idea who this was. And my friend from Minnesota, my freshman year of college is like, you shoot like shit. He's like, watch this video. And I was like, okay. And so I good watched friend. this video and yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. he's like, this is how I, this is how I learned. I didn't have good coaching either. And so we learned how to shoot on this video and we're, we're at a D three school in the Midwest. And we're like, we're watching this in, instructional video. And I didn't know who you were before the video, because I just really would have no way of knowing you kind of stopped playing right as I got into college. And so I had no idea. And to this day, I was like, man, if I get a chance to, I'm going to talk to this guy. And then obviously over the years, I learned all of these different things about how great you were as a player. And I obviously knew about your clinics and seeing your Twitter interactions. And like, I really, it kind of came back up to me and it was fresh in my memory because I saw a lot of people tweeting highlights of your son, your, your, I think your oldest son, McCabe yeah. or Kate. So yeah, that's what brought it all together. I was like, man, I got to do I got to see if he'll do it. I just shot a random DM and, and luckily you responded because I was like, this is really like a fun moment for me back to my like as I could not shoot. I was just a face off guy. Right. But, uh, well, that's really cool. And, and anytime I get a chance to do these, I jump on it because it's just fun to, um, you know, the branding you get out of this. It's just really fun to talk to people about lacrosse and some things I've done. But that's cool. I love hearing the stories. And I say to people all the time that I didn't make a lot of money on it. So um, not that that's what is the most important, but anytime you hear people talk about like the experience they had with it, it's, it's really rewarding. Yeah. Um, you so you, you cool. definitely got your goal of building your brand because like I said, I'd never had seen you play before the video. And now all of a sudden I know who you are and I would, could never forget. So it really worked right. out for you. Speaking of, so you not only do your own clinic, which I'm sure Ryan's going to jump into a little bit more, but you also have this thing project, is it project 9.9 .9 or just 9.9? 9? 
So it, the branding on that is a little weird because when okay. we first started it, Paul and I had it like he wore nine in college and I yeah. wore nine. It was 9.9. And then we were like, ah, it's too much of a mouthful. mouthful. So now we just call it Project Nine. Okay. Okay. So maybe walk me through a little bit of the backstory because I, when I saw that come about, like obviously at that time, I knew who you were. I, everyone knew who Paul was in my age group. So I was like, what a unique mix you know, obviously we have both offensive guys, but what a great mix. And the, the very first year you ran it, they blew the, the visuals out of the water with all the video work. And it was like this, it was basically about like being to the elite 11 quarterback camp for, for offensive players. So maybe talk about that, how that came to be a little bit and, and where that stands today. Yeah. Another awesome question. I love doing these when there's like thought real thoughtfulness going into it um but um you mentioned elite 11 and i think we have that in some of our stuff so i don't know if you just randomly put the two together but yeah i did um, so. th then that's pretty impressive because um we do we've talked about that over time that we kind of knocked that off a little bit but um so paul and i um had a little bit of a relationship i was working for warrior and we we're trying to sign him to an endorsement deal um, so we kind of knew each other and then we, uh, randomly ended up in a skybox at an inside lacrosse game about 11 years ago. And we we're just talking about our philosophies on lacrosse and instruction and development, and where players are today. And we said, we should get together and, and start thinking about maybe doing something together. And, uh, you know, we came up with this, we both were into, we both had known about elite 11. We both thought that to your point earlier that kids are all just growing up. They, all they do now is play club and they don't go to camps anymore. At times you can see a little lack of fundamentals. Um, so back 10 years ago, we were like, let's just do something. Let's take a really, really high level players, bring them into Baltimore and, you know, 50, 60 of them and train them and get them ready for college and have them compete and put some rankings out during kind of like elite 11 does. So we just completed our ninth year. It's really one of the coolest events in lacrosse. And one of the things with that one that we're most proud of, you guys have been obviously involved in lacrosse. It's the most copycat sport of all yep. time. So-and-so does a shooting camp and then there's 10 of them. And so-and-so does a goalie camp and then there's 10 new ones. And then there's a new tournament, this style and recruiting. Project nine hasn't been copied really. And the reason that is, is it, it can't be. We have, it's so, so difficult to run that event. And we have like the perfect combination between my operational skills and Paul's media skills. So from day one, like he brought a huge audience in with him. Um, and he immediately and on day one was like, we got to have like a good edit on this thing. And so it's, it's a really difficult event to pull off. It's hotel rooms in the fall and it's, it's just really challenging. So, but it's cool. It's a really cool event. And it was extra neat this summer. My son was old enough to do it. He was on the younger side, but um, to have him out there was really cool. And next summer will be 10 years. So it's been pretty exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you're, you're hitting all these milestone kind of moments. I mean, you're like 10 years and then Mill, I know Mill and Camp just, was it, is it 25 years? Yeah. It was 25 years. Yeah. I thought I saw that. Now you, you kind of brought it up with your son. I mean, it, it's one of those things too. Now, obviously, you know, you were a great player in your own right. Your son is getting to that recruitable age. Um, 
you know, and he in his own right is a phenomenal player, going to be a well, a highly sought after recruit. I mean, how do you, how do you one navigate that as a parent, um, you know, in in terms of kind of maybe some of the things that you, you know, through your experiences, through being in the industry and everything like that, how, how are you helping navigate him through that? And, and also too, you know, how is, how are things changed from a recruiting landscape, say for you, when you were going through it with your experience as to how, um, you know, maybe the younger generations are going through it now, because I mean, it is, it, it's, it's very, very different from, um, from, you know, when you went through it to how it is now. Yeah. I mean, so the first thing is um, I'm trying to guide him that the understanding for him should be all about, and, and this is my message at Project Nine is that, like, I look at my career when I graduated from UMass as a first team All-American, and that's the highest, you highest, it's the pinnacle of the sport, but I got so much better throughout 10, 15 years into the pro league. Mm-hmm. So playing at the pinnacle of college lacrosse and still trajectory, and like a guy like Tom Brady always talks about, he just keeps getting better. So the first thing is I just try to guide him that, like, don't ever – except that like people are telling you how good you just keep trying to get better. Mm -hmm. Um, Then fortunately I've had some guys over time that I've mentored kind of through the process a little bit, like grand amen used to come through my camps when he was Mm -hmm. in like eighth grade. And then he came to project nine, three times. And then we got very close as a, you know, almost like a father son relationship. And um, so I was able to mentor him and learn some things through that, that I can pass on to my son and then I also have been doing this for the club I run for the last couple of years, dealing with the college coaches. So like all in all that I've learned on this, um, I'm able to kind of, you know, stay out of it when I need to be involved when I need to, but we haven't, he's got, you know, a year from now, Yep. he's, he's going to be um, one of those guys that people go after a little bit, but, and then the last part of your question, how's it different? I mean, yeah, it's different. Like I, I took my five visits, um during the fall of my senior year so it's obviously later yeah uh, and there wasn't near as much like I mentioned the Empire State games that was kind of it like yeah all the coaches went to those Empire State games and watched the tryouts but there wasn't 10 show my son's going to do like seven showcases and stuff this fall so it's just a more they play so much more now so I'm going to ask you a couple, what I think are maybe some tough questions for, for you to answer, because I'm going to make you choose a couple things. So you obviously have this history with the MLL, like you were there really early on, you played your entire pro career there. That was the only league really, other than, you know, obviously the elite clubs that were around back then. And you kind of probably know what's coming. You have a lot of friendships in the PLL still, I mean, with Paul and a couple other guys, and it's, it's hard to ever go against the family, I guess. But if you were 25 years old playing today, what would you, would you choose the PLL or would you choose the MLL? And feel free to add why, because I'm sure there's a backstory there. So the first thing, I'll just answer the question. I mean, I think I would probably choose the PLL mm-hmm. um, just because it seems like, at this point in time, there's a, you know, I was, seems like the, you know, I was one of the top guys coming out. Um, and it seems like that's kind of where a lot of the top guys are uh, right now. So I probably would have wanted to do like Grant did and test myself against the best. But I will say I watched 
a lot of MLL this summer. I thought it was unbelievable. Yep. Um, and I think the talent discrepancy at the total, total top is, um, you know, there's a, there's a discrepancy, but like, there's a lot of good players out there in both leagues. Um, and then the second part of your question, I don't know if there was a second part, but I guess I'll just say that it bums me out that there are two leagues. Um, I wish, I know, you know, I know they tried. I know Paul right. tried pretty hard to, to do something with MLL. Um, don't delve into what happened, but I'd much rather see like all of the guys I play with myself and Casey and all the guys, Ryan and all the guys, JJ Albert, like, at the end of the day, you kind of lose your legacy a little bit if, mm -hmm. you know, th th we're not in any kind of, you know, it's too leagues, right? So, mm -hmm. anyway, um, hopefully I answered your question there. No, I mean, it's a great point because, and it's, I think it's powerful for the listeners to hear that because you were one of the greatest in the MLL. And for you to say, like, as great as that was, and you're appreciative of those experiences, at the same time, you really understand the benefits that are available in the PLL. I mean, you can, you can build a real brand in the PLL. You can really market yourself and they've built their whole league around being, you know, marketable. And, and that's, that's the basis of their entire league. And that's something that Paul has always done. Well, like you said, he brought that to the camp that you guys run together and he does it every day professionally. So it does speak a lot to that. I was just curious. It was in my brain. I was like, man, if he could go back now, how would he do it? And, and with the history part, I was wondering if that was going to be enough to keep you and say, you know what, I'm, I'm an MLL guy, but no, it's, it's good to hear the, the truth, honestly, of, of how you feel. Yeah. Ryan and I've talked about it for years that this was a great year for the MLL to like get a lot of fans back, but like the casual, like the older fans, those are the ones they're really fighting to keep. I don't think they're really fighting for the younger fans as much. Right. And the talent level is like you said at the top, like there's young guys that are still going to the MLL because there's just not enough room in the PLL. And exactly. somebody talked to me about it and he's like, there's a lot of, uh, he's like, I feel like the average age is much higher in the PLL, which I thought about for a second. I was like, you know what? You're right. They brought a lot of the older pros over and they're supplementing through the draft, but he thought the athleticism was actually higher in the MLL because you have these guys that, I mean, they're just really good athletes and on average they're way younger. So it, it is really interesting dynamic. I know Paul did try to basically, he made a couple offers that they balked at and, and kind of laughed him out of the room in a sense, because he's not a part of the old boys club. And now we'll see if it's going to be their downfall. I mean, they've already had a few issues, so, you know, yeah. Do us a favor, do yourselves a favor. Who doesn't like free stuff, right? It takes you two seconds. So let's get away from all the Instagram models that you're looking at for a second and do us all a favor and go follow the Going Offsides podcast. No, in a perfect world, it'd be really cool if there was just one league and, mm -hmm. you know, 14 teams or something. Um, and I, I'm not saying, I'm not, I didn't study that and don't know the numbers and the yeah. but there's just a lot of good players. And I agree. I thought I was blown away with the athleticism in the MLL. Maybe it was the field was just a little bigger and there's more room to get up and down between the lines, but it was fast. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it does bum me out a little bit and I'm sure it bums, you know, I'm sure the MLL is bummed out by the PLL and Paul probably wishes that, 
the other lead didn't make it, you know, but it's, it's not great. And um, that's kind of how I feel about it at this point. Well, I mean, for the fans, it's great too. I mean, this summer, I mean, it was three weeks or four weeks just of straight lacrosse. So, I mean, it, it goes to say, and I mean, we were kind of all locked down in quarantine and we all got to watch, you know, the MLL. And I think that's where so many fans fell back in love with the MLL again, because it was, like you said, I mean, it was a great product on TV. Now, kind of like just to follow up with that on Nick's question. Now, I know you did it that first year. You guys were on the touring um, when you when it was the, the when it was the summer showcase. You did the touring model with the MLL, right? Yeah. And then obviously, when you get into your MLL career, you know you have your specific teams. I know you were played for Baltimore, you played for Boston, and then at the end, you played on Long Island. Which model did you prefer? Did you, and my question kind of is, is that, you know, the PLL is doing that touring model right now. If you were playing today, which would you prefer? Would you prefer kind of your setup with your traditional home base team or would, or would the, the touring model be more, more, um, you know, beneficial for you? Which would you prefer? I think the answer to that is just based on my own, like personal, um, I'm just like a kind of a homebody, you know, like I, I would, I'd rather be part of the city and be part of the team, but like, that's not any kind of like editorial saying like mm-hmm. either one of them is that much better from the business standpoint. But for me, like just being able to, and, and I guess you have that once you're in the dressing room with the guys, like that's your team and stuff. So, but I, I really like going up and playing for the, the city, even though, you know, I don't know how much that really means. I know Boston, Boston was one of the best experiences I ever had a lot of the guys did travel and we're really close. And, um, but I guess to answer your question, I would probably prefer the, the city model. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I even talked to a couple of guys in the MLL about that and, you know, a couple of them did have a chance to go to the PLL and they kind of came up with the same thing. Like I grew up a lizards fan, like, yeah. Like that was a thing. I went to every, like Ryan, you had season tickets to the lizards, right? Yep. So we were talking about that and you were, weren't you on the practice team at some point too? I practiced a couple of times. That was when, <laughs> you know, some guys just did, that was when you got 50 bucks. They were like, Hey, don't go to a happy hour down Long Beach and meet us at Mitchell field. And, you know, we'll give you, we'll give you a reversible. Yeah. Like, so, that sounds good. I yeah. mean, the thing is, um, I understand, I think why the tour model, because when you look at the, in state or city model and you're not draw you have six home games and your fan base is going to the beach and stuff it's hard to build game after game on your attendance so if you just keep bouncing around you have a better chance to grab the number of fans you're trying to grab at the end of the year but um you know it's, i still think it's a challenge like the and for years i, I actually was involved with the upstart of the MLL because I was working at Warrior. Mm-hmm. And the biggest challenge is like, just when do you play that league? You know, like, yeah, summer, all we do with my family and all the people I associate with in Baltimore, all we do is travel around and go to our kids' tournaments all summer. So, like, the summer's a really tough time to have a pro league. And everyone in lacrosse is like that. It's not just the Baltimore mm-hmm. thing, Long Island kids. Boston kids are all leaving mm-hmm. their region. So the summer is a tough time to play. Um, the spring would be ideal, but getting venues is tough. So yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. And then you got the guys like yourself that play indoor and you want to make it a year round thing. Cause you could kind of piece it all together, especially now. I feel like if you're playing professionally in both leagues, 
and then even a little bit of um you know you, you have your camp money your clinic money like you could make a career out of it and just do lacrosse for a while but you know that gets more and more difficult and that's also part of i'm sure for you the traveling model pulls you away for a, a longer period of time you're traveling more often it's harder to run your business it's harder for guys to we, we did we did a podcast last week with pro lacrosse talk and we were talking about how the mll is a little bit more i think sustainable for guys that want to keep a full-time job because they don't require as much of those guys so i think there's always going to be a place for that it's right. a matter of are they willing to basically like they have been contract a little bit and be a little smarter and maybe you know, maybe everybody doesn't need to build a field or, you know, keep, keep costs a little lower. Um, and, and, you know, everybody keeps talking about how COVID's affected everything and how somebody said it best to me the other day, stop trying to think of how we can do it like we used to and like make it the most like it used to be and just think of a new way to do it. Yeah. And that's, that's part of like, I think that's been the problem with the MLL and, and a lot of I guess it's just a lot of old money just in charge of things and not very agile for sure. Like Ryan and I were talking about the other day. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's going to be a big part of it is are they willing to change? Cause they showed this year that they were for the first time in a long time, they brought in a bunch of interns. They upped their, their media game. It felt like for the first time ever after a game, I would see highlights. Um, I had stats emailed to me, you know, as games ended, it was really well run and it was exciting and it felt like for the first time, like they were like really hitting the right spots. They changed rules, which I, the old MLL, I don't think was as willing to do as quickly. Yeah. The MLL did a great job with the media stuff this year. And, you know, the biggest key, I guess, to your point is that seemed to be something they pulled from the PLL. Mm -hmm. Now what's the next step? What can they do to get out in front of it instead of being, you know, Playing acting on what someone else is doing. So It'll yeah. be interesting to see where it goes. Hopefully at some point in time, I love, there's so many good players out there now. I think a yeah. league could support probably 14 teams. Oh, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. It would still be good. Look, really good lacrosse. Really good lacrosse. Yeah. yeah. I think it'll, I mean, it's all going to come down to, I mean, they're both backed by a lot of money, right? So it's all going to come down to, they both have TV deals. They both have a lot of things. It's, it's, can we figure out which model is going to be best? The, the franchise model, or the touring model, because I think that's the backbone of each league right now. And that's a point that could be the, the, the deal breaker at some point, because how do you go from, we're trying to spread the game all around the country, hit these hotbed markets. Like, you know, Paul's crunching numbers, using all these little algorithms to figure out like there's X number of youth players in this area and this is the population. So let's go play here. And that's great. I think that's great for the game right now, but at some point I have to feel like, the the league will need roots I, I i like the idea of like you pick your own team that's kind of a cool thing based on your identity but at the same time like every other sport in my life tells me that that's wrong and i should be just born like i'm a lions fan and no one chooses to be a lions fan you just are yeah. just like you know ryan didn't choose to be a giants fan are you a jets fan or a giants fan mark i am unfortunately it's I mean, it's the most painful. I, I literally <laughs> root for the worst, the worst franchise in sports. In sports, right now, football. right now, right now. Uh, they're coming back. Oh my god, they're coming back. That's a tough. Again. That's a tough ask. It is. A I mean, tough they they hired a new GM and a new head coach to win, and they're yep. worse than they've ever been. 
Well, I mean, if you're if you're a Mets and a, and a Jets fan, you are just you are just in in trouble. But I mean, so I didn't have that weird you know matchup. I grew up. A, I'm a huge baseball fan. I grew up a Yankee okay. fan. So Yankee okay. Jets. It's weird, but I everybody gives me the business. I'm Islanders, Giants, and there you Mets. go. So yeah. you know, finally, at least I had one team this year win some games. So I'm happy yeah. about that. All now, right. speaking of which, I do have one question. Okay, so, um, and this is talking about, you know, I mean, obviously you can speak to how special it was having the opportunity to play for the U.S. national team multiple times. I mean, you, you played, you know, and, and most of these people, and I don't even know if Nick knows this, but the 98 championship was, most people say, is the greatest game ever played. I'm, I'm teetering on that line we're saying, and I, and I watched it, you know, a month ago. Um, it really was. It was a special game. I mean, you know, Homewood Field was packed. I can't even imagine what that atmosphere was like. Um, but also, too, you are you have one of the you know, you've played with some really special players. And I have to ask this because I know he was a teammate of yours on one of those world teams. How good was Dave Petromala? Because so many people don't have an understanding of just what he brought to the what I've never seen him actually play table. Like at my age. I've never um, seen him play. So I can't relate, you know, and, 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 and I know, you know, you're an elite attackman and nobody wants to talk about, Hey, this guy gave me the business or, or whatever, but I know him being a teammate and you having the opportunity to play against them both, you know, um, in practice, you know, at the club level, all that stuff. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that. That's just the fan in me. I had to ask. No, it's great. I love it because the one thing that people it's the it's the ultimate cop out. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you ask guys in this generation, in like still playing, who's the best defender ever? And they're like, Petro. And they don't know. They don't really know that they haven't seen a lot of film. But I'll get back to, to that in a second. The um, playing on Team USA was just incredible. I had two cool experiences. I played in England. So I got to share being overseas and having been in, in another country for the first time and winning a championship that way with Team USA and then got to do it at Homewood. And just as you were saying it, it literally gave me chills. That night was so unbelievable. The place was so packed. All my family was there. All my friends were there. And there was so much pressure on us because Team USA hadn't lost in so long. But yep. Canada was good, man. They, yeah, they were both real good. Gates, Chris Sanderson, who was an American goalie in the goal, you know, who played at Virginia, they were yep. legit all over. And he the was field. standing on his, and he stood on his head that game too. Yep. And, and somehow like, you know, we got off to that 11, two lead and mm -hmm. I think it was 11, two and how that game goes to overtime. It just, it's like, I mean, I hate to be crude, but it's like a plane crash. Like a bunch of things have to happen. Like a yeah. lot of things have to go wrong. You have to be stupid on offense. You have to, not play as hard. The other team has to make great plays. It's like the perfect storm happened. Um, and then on Petro, no, he, I think he was, um, you know, he was definitely one of the best I've ever played against. Nicky Polanco kind of. Absolutely. Guy. He, I, you know, played against him a lot more than Petro. Mm -hmm. But when I came, I also had such a cool and unique, like I came in at the end of an era. So I got to play with these guys like Petro and John Tucker and, Mike Morrill. Mm -hmm. And then I got to play all the way through the Powells and the Jalbears and the Hogan's. And so I really was like a really good timing coming in, getting the end of one era and into the beginning of another, but he was, he was, he was unbelievable. He, he was bit, right. He was big. He was six, four and long and rangy. So he could cover anybody. He generally threw a lot of takeaway checks. So he would 
play great individual team defense, but then um, he would also try to take the ball from you, which is kind of unique um, in today's lacrosse. And if you've ever heard him coach on the sideline, he's just got that like bear of a voice. He, he was <laughs> real. He was way ahead of the game in like his communication skills and leadership on the field. So you would you would play against him and you would hear him the entire time. And then the last piece was that his stick was like he went on. He played a bunch of years in the NLL. Yeah. And um, so his stick was unbelievable. He scored a I played with him in the 94 world games and he scored a ton of goals. Um, so he, he was, he was incredible. And so I came out this like young punk from UMass. I was, you know, four years younger than him. He was dominating the lacrosse world. And I was this long Island punk. So <laughs> I was like, just taking him on every time I could. And he got the best of me sometimes, but um, we faced off in the club championship back then. I yep. was playing for team long Island he was playing for Mount Washington. My team won. I had four and two. We were champs that year. And uh, there I just, you go. I didn't back down from him, even though he got me a bunch of times. Um, got me over the head with his lefty over yeah. the head. Um, but he was great. Arguably, you know, one of the best to ever play, really. And that's why he was so good. His stick skills, his mm -hmm. communication. Awesome. Okay. Perfect well, transition. And, and, oh, well, ahead. and I, the one thing about that, I hate to be a fan and just talk about that 98 championship, but Sal Ocasio with that save at the end, that flopping save, I'll never forget that, where he makes that one save, flopping in the crease. I mean, also, too, one of the greatest goalies to have ever played the game as well. And, mm -hmm. and, and I feel like he doesn't get as – I mean, he gets a lot of credit, but, you know, people tend to forget about him a little bit as well. They yeah. do forget about him, and it's – I don't know, it's somewhat like branding, you know. Like, yeah. there might have been another guy, like Brian Volker, a defenseman in that game. But another play in that game, Pat McCabe, um, defenseman from Cuse, like, reached and, like, dove at the end. I think he got a piece of someone's yeah. stick. And that could – if we would have – I mean, if we would have lost that game – I actually talked to Coach Tierney about mm -hmm. three months ago. He was – we were talking about some of my 22s, and we are both kidding around that, like – I don't know. I don't know how we would look. We would have lived it down, but it would have been quite some time. If you're up, you, the U.S. team hadn't lost since 1976, and it's in Maryland, in the United States, and we're up like we were. It would have been epic, epic fail. <laughs> well, good thing we're talking about it in a good way, not a bad way, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the things I try to always pride myself on, and I think Casey Powell was like this too, is like you got to be able to do everything. Um, yeah. I was known as more of a dodger, but I did score a bunch of goals off ball. Like you got to mm -hmm. be able to play off. You got to play without yeah. the ball. Got to be really good at playing without the ball. Um, got to be able to pass. You got to shooting. If 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 you're an American attackman, I still heavily recommend playing with both hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unless you're in the box twelve months a year and you can really just get so comfortable with that one sided, and just constantly mm -hmm. figure out how to get back to your left hand or back to your right hand, but. If you're an American style attackman playing with two hands still helps a lot. Yeah. And, and you're right, because I feel like in the coaching world, a lot of people have seen this Canadian style offense taking over. And a lot of people are preaching that and they're preaching like those types of offenses and systems. And a lot of guys are playing more box than they used to. It's definitely part of the training. So a lot of people have gotten really comfortable saying like, you know, let's just be really, really good with one hand and then we'll figure it out from there. But it's nice to hear 
someone say something just like that. If you're not playing box 12 months a year, you're not getting to that point or, you know, even 10 months a year, you're just not getting to the point where that's going to be an option for you. You still have to be a well-rounded offensive player using both hands, doing a little bit of everything. So it's really good to hear that um, because we've heard, I feel like a lot of people recently go the other way on that and just say like, let's just re no one says don't use your offhand ever, but you know, people have gotten comfortable saying, you know what, that kid, eh, he's got one hand, whatever, like let's, let's just, let's ride that out. So, and I think there's still, I could point to a couple of young kids right now and I won't, but there's a couple of young kids that are getting away with the one handed style and it's still, it's possible. mm -hmm. But like, I still look at, would you guys say Grant Sowers and uh, Pat Spencer, three of the best in the last 10 years? Yeah, Yeah. easily. Yeah. Yeah. Easily. Those guys play, those guys constantly play with both hands. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, um, Maybe not Spencer quite as much, but Grant and Sowers definitely use their offense. Oh, definitely, yeah. Well, I think if, like you said, you're a quarterback attackman behind the cage, there's a lot of benefits. You need to be able to do that to increase angles. So you can't can't really get away. If you're a crease finisher, you know, if you're Matt Gaudet, you just got to catch it and get rid of it. Like that's, that's it. So you could get away with that a little bit more, but if you're, you know, if you're a quarterback, you can't get away with that. Couldn't agree more. Yep. And, and, and it just makes, it, it makes your, it just makes your team and yourself that much harder to game plan for, you know, it's, you know, with everything becoming so specialized and teams having, I mean, it's not like how it was, you know, 20 years ago where everybody's playing a midweek game and then playing on Saturday. So there's less time to prepare. I mean, these guys are playing one game a week in most cases. So there's more time to prepare. It's taken on more of a, a football model. So, I mean, you have to be able to use both hands so that, you know, you can have a few more tools in the, in, in the, in the toolbox, I guess. Agree. So I, I kind of, I don't know if Ryan has any more questions, but I've got one kind of final question. Go um, ahead. You know, I think your camps kind of speak for themselves. So if, if you want to talk about the camps in more detail, I'm, we're happy to listen, but the question I kind of have for you is you had the opportunity and if you wanted to today, you could call somebody up and get one of these jobs. What has kind of kept you from pursuing college coaching? So I think the, I think the thing that kept me from college coaching early on was I saw back in 1993 when I graduated, the, um, I, I kind of wanted to have a certain lifestyle that I, you know, sort of had a goal for myself. And I mm-hmm. felt like college coaching maybe wasn't going to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, the, uh, there was an exponential increase. These guys are doing really well now. Um, and so I sort of set myself down the path of not college co- going to be a college coach um, all the way back in 93. And I felt like... It, deviating and I was I was actually really happy doing the business stuff the uh, warrior stuff and I just didn't really have a reason to be honest with you probably in the last five years I've thought a little bit more about it but I think the train left the station um, mm-hmm. I talked to a good buddy of mine and it's just probably be difficult to be a volunteer assistant at mm-hmm. you know close to age 50 and um, so that's kind of the main reason I didn't do it early on and then I was pretty happy with the business stuff um, business is still great. Camps are still great, but 
I do feel like I missed my calling just a little bit um, mm-hmm. because I think I'd have been pretty decent at it. So, um, but that's another great question. I mean, tr- trains never too late. I mean, John Grant Jr.'s, I mean, yeah, he, he speaks to that. It, yeah. He did get a late start. I mean, you're right Junior, up there. I hear you, but Junior looks a little older, but he's still, <laughs> he's still like, I think he's 44, right? I don't yeah, know. he's around there. He's I'm around just, there. He jumped back in when he was like 41. So the math he's, is He's a kind little... of Brett Favre in it. He just takes a couple years off, gets a new team, gets a new jersey. Oh, yeah. But uh, no, I was I was just curious because, you know, you're a guy, you know, if I was in your situation, like that would have propelled my coaching career exponentially, like having the resume that you had coming out of college. And yeah, so I was just, I was just very curious. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a timing thing. I think I could have done a decent job with the recruiting. I mean, my background in like the business side of things was really mostly in sales. Mm-hmm. Recruiting is a lot. It's of sales. all sale. It's really, yeah. you know, yeah. it's building relationships, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of what it all comes down to. I mean, I mean, at the same time too, um, you know, like you said, you know, you, you might have missed out on that, but I mean, from you know, at least from an outsider's perspective, I mean. You're, you're doing wonderful things with, with the 91 Maryland kids and how many Thank kids you. that, you, that you're, um, you're, you know, you're putting on to the next level and, you know, you're getting to see all those guys. I mean, you name, you rattled off a few of them, you know, just in, in the few minutes we've been talking together. So, I mean, um, it, it's awesome to see it. I mean, and also too, I mean, you guys got to be having the 91 bragging rates right now. Right. Cause didn't, didn't we beat 91 smash? Didn't, didn't 91 Maryland beat smash a couple months yeah. ago at the, at the, at the inside lacrosse event. We did. And hopefully, um, you know, we'll get a chance to, we love playing those guys, have a lot of respect for them. And Joe, the co- you know, Joe yeah. and Sal are the coaches and mm-hmm. Joey's an incredible attack man. And yeah, we, we got had the best a... of them. We got the best of them. We had a hot goalie that night. Yep. And, um, but what people don't know, I think we were up like seven, one in that game. Yeah. Those guys, I was following along and those guys came back. I mean, that's the one thing about any, any team that has him as their coach, he, he, yeah. he doesn't let anybody quit. And those kids, those no. kids fight, man. And, and they zoned it up on us, yep. which gave us a little bit of trouble. But that was a great game and great for the sport at the absolutely at that level and stuff. So, well, awesome, Mark. I really, I really appreciate your time. It's been yeah, really man. great. If you ever decide to run a camp, you know, more towards us, give us a call. <laughs> I know you used to do Ohio back in the day, and, and it'd I did. Be great, be great to get you back in the Midwest. But uh, we really appreciate your time. Ryan. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. It's been been awesome. I can't thank you enough for your time. I know we've been been talking your ear off for a little while, but it was no, awesome. It's great. Too. Yeah, it's it great. Awesome I told you guys before you. how much I love doing this. It gives you a great as you get older, you know, you it's fun to reminisce about the stuff. And you guys were super prepared with your questions and stuff. So I appreciate it. It was great. Hey, everybody, a quick reminder, if you want to support us or just support lacrosse in general, go to laxallstars.com slash going offsides, where you can get discounts at the LAS store and, and plenty of other places.